Hi, this is Dave Summers, and welcome to AMA Edgewise. Anelia Varela is the U.S. Director of The Writer. Anelia came to New York from London to continue the writer's mission in life to change organizations through the language they use. Heading up the Writer's U.S. office, Anelia is helping brands like Unilever, Cisco, Google, and Electronic Arts. We did a previous program with Anelia and and Cisco, the writer's client Cisco, with a really interesting topic on how they simplified their messaging. They made the understandability of their uh, the whole brand uh, and the way they presented themselves to the world, never mind absolutely on the internet, but to the world in a more balanced, in a more direct way. And that's a great program, and I urge everyone who's listening to this podcast to go back and listen to that archive. Anelia, welcome to AMA Edgewise. I'm, I've been working hard at getting you in front of the microphone. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks, Dave. Let's just start at the beginning here. People hear the writer. What is the writer? And, I mean, can you give us the short story version of what's the writer? Sure. Well, um, as you can probably tell from the name, we did start life as a writing agency about 17 years ago in London. And we were founded by an ex-investigative journalist who saw a real opportunity for better business writing across the board, not just at the campaign level or the big marketing comms level, but really to make language better and more consistent throughout companies' writing. And over time, we evolved into consultants on really everything to do with business writing. And ultimately, it's about making business language clearer and more human and more honest and really just more interesting. Because if you think about some of the business writing out there, some of it is just boring, boring, boring stuff that we put up with every day. So we are on this mission, as you say, to make that better and ultimately to prove that words can actually help to solve real business problems. Okay. I'll bite. What kinds of problems? Okay. Well, say you are in an industry where everyone sounds the same. And we see that a lot in finance. We see it a lot in technology, for example. Everyone's kind of sounding the same. And everyone's creating so much content that it's just kind of hard to wade through it all. So for some brands, it might be all about standing out in that sea of sameness. So that's one thing. For other people, it might be about improving their customer experience. That's a really hot topic at the moment. There's research out there that says that a lot of brands see that as their biggest differentiator at the moment. So changing your language is a relatively quick, cheap, and easy way to improve that experience just by being more human in your communications with those customers. And then it's not just about external communications either, it's also internal, because that's where you set the tone for really the entire culture. So for some people, it's about signifying culture change and encouraging that culture change by improving their HR and internal communications and making that clearer and more human and more relatable. So really all sorts across the entire business, coming back to my point from before, this isn't just marketing and brand, it really gets into every nook and cranny of an organization. Author and futurist Kevin Kelly, he's the co-founding editor of Wired Magazine. I've read several of his books. He's been on this uh, podcast before. He insists that the only factor becoming scarce in a world of abundance, and I imagine there he's talking about information abundance, is the human attention span, is human attention. How can the right words force or cajole or attract attention? I'm sure you'll agree that 
that's really harder than ever and more important than ever because there is all of this content that we're being bombarded with every single day. And so if you think about your inbox and you go into meetings and you like seeing presentations and you're online, you're on social media, there's just words, 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 words being thrown at you all the time. And even Microsoft Outlook, if you've got the latest version, has a clutter folder now because there's just so much clutter in our lives and in our inboxes. So it really is harder to attract attention in those situations, especially because not just the volume of it, but because it's so bad, you know, it's just this kind of a, it's, it's harder to stand out either way. And that's where language that is clearer and more human and more honest and all of those good things can really help you stand out. Because most of what we are bombarded with every day is often too long, it's complex, it's full of jargon. And so you can really kind of cut through that just by being more concise and more human and more honest. In addition to our writing skills, don't you think we should be developing our listening skills? I mean, do you have any advice on how to become a, a better listener? Well, considering what you do for a living, I should probably be asking you for tips. Mm. Uh, because, frankly, I, I would say that I am naturally probably a better talker than a listener, which is my way of saying I'm a terrible listener. But I do spend my days in meetings and on calls with clients where I have to get useful information and feedback from them. So I've had to really learn to be a better listener. So with that in mind, I do have some tips that I can share that, that ahead, I please. use myself. I was quite inspired by this quote by Stephen Covey. You've probably got the book outside in your we, library. We actually train Covey courses here at the end. Oh, there you go. So, so you know all about seven habits of highly effective people. And in that book, he says, most people do not listen with the intent to understand. They listen with the intent to reply. And so that's really the first thing to remember is to forget about yourself and wanting to impress because you can be sitting there the whole time thinking, oh, I've got this really good fact. When am I going to be able to drop that in there or give my opinion? And you're just not hearing what they're saying in the meantime. So forget about all of that stuff and really tune into what they are saying so that you are hearing them properly and then able to respond. My next step would be to ask questions. Now, that would seem a really obvious one, but I think a lot of people neglect the language of their question. And what I mean by that is really the more interesting the question, the more interesting the answer is likely to be. So instead of asking someone, oh, can you tell me a little bit about your product, which will just, you know, open them up to give you the spiel that they probably give on their website, why not ask a question like, why does your product blow the competition out of the water? And so bringing a bit of emotion, a bit of dynamism, making it more specific should get a much more animated and interesting response from that person. And one more tip, if we've got time for one more. Go ahead, please. Okay, one more. This is actually something our founder told me once, that ex-investigative journalist. And he said, when you go into a meeting, play dumb. So obviously do your homework. But when I go into an investment bank, for example, for a meeting or a briefing or whatever it might be, I don't go in there pretending to be an expert on investment banking. And I'm very honest and upfront about that. Mm -hmm. I'll go in and say, I'm not the expert on this stuff, you are. Mm -hmm. And once you admit to that, 
what's really good is that they will then talk to you in much simpler language. They won't throw all the jargon at you, which makes our job easier because often we are having to go and write more clearly about what they do as a result of that meeting. And also, what little you do know, if you do get the chance to throw some of it out there, will hopefully be a pleasant surprise for them. Very interesting. Now, I know one of the things that the the writer consults on, assists clients with, is this whole idea of naming things, giving things names. Now, why is why is the human endeavor of naming things, why is it such a perilous undertaking? And, and how does the writer facilitate this process with your clients? I mean, without giving away any of your secrets. I mean, uh, many of your clients are, are globally recognized brands. And I would imagine there's more than a few busloads of really smart people who work at these companies. So why is naming such a challenge? And how do you go, go on? How do you proceed with that? Great question. And we actually did our own podcast on this very topic with one of those smart people from Google. We did one a while ago with Google's head of naming. So I don't know if I'm allowed to plug that here, but uh, sure. um, people can go check that out. The right. I'd like podcast. that in my card, though. You know, head, head of naming. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What a cool, what a cool title, and the fact that those jobs even exist, I think, mm-hmm. show just how hard this is. So, to use an analogy, you have kids, don't you? Yes, I do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, what are your kids' names? Elizabeth, my daughter, is the oldest. Nicholas. Or Nick is a difficult middle child. Uh, he's, I'm joking. He's my older son and my listening. younger son. I know. And my younger son is Tim. Okay. So Elizabeth, Nick, and, and Tim. Tim. So was it hard to come up with those names? There's a story associated with every name, but uh, not especially difficult. No. What I'm, made you I'm pick say, those names? Well, Elizabeth, believe it or not, my daughter was born two days after my wife's grandmother had passed away. And my wife's grandmother, her middle name was Elizabeth. And we just, it's sort of, we were going back and forth on a whole bunch of, you know, names and whatnot. And we were like, Mm -hmm. you just rolled from one emotional family situation into another. We said, it's Elizabeth, you know? So that's how she got her name. Now, imagine that you had this really emotional reason for picking that name. And then someone tells you, oh, sorry, you can't call her Elizabeth. There's already a kid at her school called Elizabeth. Do you see what I'm getting at? Yes, exactly. That's that's just one of the issues that these big brands face today. You know, so trademarks, every name seems to be taken these days. So that's one of the issues. And then the other part is something you touched on too, which is the emotion of it. So people get incredibly emotionally invested in names. And if you think about these big companies, you know, each of the products and services they bring out have been developed by probably a team of people. And to them, that is their baby. And they are naming their baby. So they get so emotionally attached that they kind of forget that it's part of this bigger thing, which is the wider company and this other kind of portfolio of products and services and names. And so often we find that those people want to make their thing special, even if it is just V3.4 of something that's gone before. So one of probably the biggest challenges we face is to take that emotion out of it and to take the subjectivity out of it because it's one of the most subjective things we do, no doubt. And the first way to do that is to be really clear about the brief. So if you've decided, using the kid analogy again, if you've decided, okay, we're going to use family names, that's a very clear brief. It's narrow, you kind of get what you're doing. So be clear about the brief and then you can objectively evaluate anything you come up with. Secondly, recognize that there is no such thing as the perfect name. So don't look for it. Don't look for something that's going to please everyone. 
And also remember that a name can't do everything. So on the flip side of, you know, these people who want to give their thing a very special or sexy name, you get the people who want to cram every single detail into the name. And that's when you end up with things like super duper deluxe, extra fast, multi-room, hyper-connected, broadband, V2.0, because they're just trying to cram everything in there. And they forget that these names exist out in the real world with other communications around them and visual identity and other ways of communicating some of those things. And finally, it's really just about naming a one-off thing as one thing, but you know, when you've got thousands of products, having a clear system is very important. So we do that as well. We help people think more strategically and systematically about their names. So say you're an insurance provider and you've already got home insurance and car insurance and travel insurance, and now you bring out a product and suddenly you call it Sapphire. Now, unless that's insurance for sapphires, that's just going to confuse the heck out of your customers. So, again, it's about recognizing when those creative sexy names are appropriate, when not, and having some kind of system to make sense of it all. That's interesting stuff. I first met you at a conference we were both attending here in New York, a conference board branding conference, and, and you one of the very first stories you told was this terrific story about how this bar had a different approach to indicating that a table or a seat was reserved. And I thought that was just very clever. And it, and it, it dawned on me that, you know, I think there, there's a time and a place for humor. Okay. And, and in that particular case, that worked just fine. Okay. I'm going to challenge you here right now. When is that time for humor? And where exactly is that place for humor? I remember that story well. That was actually from the Ace Hotel right here in New York. Yes, yes. For anyone who's listening who hasn't been there, it's a great hotel. They've got a great tone of voice. And when you reserve an area of their bar, instead of putting a reserved sign on the seat, they put a little sign that says, Sorry, gorgeous, I'm taken. And it's a really, really great example of a clear, distinctive tone of voice in action. You know, there's so much personality in there and it's completely in keeping with their brand. And obviously humor in itself is a great way to stand out, but only if it is right for your brand in the way that, you know, that little touch was right for the Ace Hotel. Another example that comes to mind is airlines. It seems that every other airline now is making funny safety videos. And, you know, there might have been a time when we thought, oh, you know, that's, you can never have fun with a safety video. It's too important. It's too serious. But now it seems everyone has got some kind of like jokey song or a little animation or something. And not everyone gets it right. So I've always loved what Virgin does with theirs. Again, because I think it fits with their brand. I even saw one of the Virgin flight attendants dancing all the way up and down the aisle to the song in the safety video while it was playing. And that's kind of when you think, yeah, this is the brand. You know, everyone is living this amazing, fun brand. But for some of the more straight-laced airlines, when I fly with them and I see these funny little videos, it just doesn't sit right. right. Also half the time because they're just not funny. Exactly. And they're trying too hard. And you kind of go, well, yeah, you've actually just given me the worst service I've ever had. And are you trying to make me smile? I'm not going to smile for the next six hours. Thank you very much. So a lot of that is about being true to your brand, true to your, uh, the culture of your company. Too. Exactly. Exactly. And people will see through it if it's not true. But that's it. Humor is one way to stand out, but there are so many other different shades of personality. And I think it's more important to just have personality, whatever that might be. So yeah, you might be the funny one, 
or you might be the serious one, or maybe you're the really opinionated one. As long as you figure out what that is and then keep that consistent so that people get to know you and they know what to expect and they can relate to that. And I think just having some personality is important because there are so many brands playing it really safe. And I think that's especially true over here in the U.S., having lived in South Africa and having lived in the U.K., because I think it's such a vast country with so so many different people and different opinions and different beliefs and things that a lot of brands try and, and be everything for all men, women, children and their pets. And it just doesn't work because they end up in this incredibly bland, safe territory. So have some personality and then bring it out. And, you know, it might be polarizing, not everyone is going to think you're funny. Not everyone is going to agree with your opinions. But the ones that do will love you for mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And that's the chance you take. And it's so much more important to have someone love you than just to have you know millions of people thinking, meh, I'm going to go to those other guys. Right. And finally, I can't, I can't let you go without asking this. I, I, I try to remain friends with you, but every opportunity I, I get to take advantage of a skilled person, I'm going to do that. So this is a pretty self-serving question. What's your best advice to combat writer's block? The blank screen. Yeah, it's it's another thing we've really had to learn in our line of work, talking with me and my colleagues, because obviously when you're working to deadlines and briefs day in and day out, you can't really afford to give writer's block. You can't tell the client, oh, sorry, I missed the deadline. You know, some writer's block. So we can't go to print. So, so there are a couple of things we do use ourselves and recommend to clients. And the first thing is is to recognize that when you suffer from writer's block, often the problem is that you don't really know what you want to say yet. You're not clear enough on the content of what you want to say. So it's it's not that you're just staring at the screen, it's that you need to do a bit more research, you need to be a bit, do a bit more homework. If you've got the information from someone else, go speak to them again until you're absolutely confident in the subject matter and the content of what you want to say. And a useful way of framing that is to ask yourself three very simple questions. Once you're clear about who your audience is, which is obviously step one, ask yourself, what do you want them to know? What do you want them to feel? And what do you want them to do? And if you can't answer those questions before you start writing, you're not ready to start writing. Secondly, try sum it up in a haiku. And if you remember from school what a haiku is... That's yeah. That's where that's five seven five. Five seven five exactly. Yeah. So uh, it's a Japanese poem, five syllables in the first line, seven syllables in the second line, third line another five syllables. So seventeen syllables in total, and it's a really useful way of really distilling your message down to the essence. And if you if you can sum it up that briefly, you're in a much better place. Then you really get it. If you're struggling to sum it up. And then again, you're probably not clear enough about what your single-minded message is because a lot of the time you're just trying to say too much as well. And, you know, don't think of it as writing would be another tip. A lot of the time, something weird happens between our brains and our fingers when we go to a keyboard and now suddenly, ooh, it is business writing. Whereas it's much better to just imagine it as a conversation. We're always telling clients to write more like they speak. Sure because that's how you can tell that it's natural. So try, instead of writing, talking to someone about it and maybe recording yourself and just listening to the language you're naturally using and the stories you're telling, and then just type it up and take mm-hmm. it from there. There's your first draft. Do, do you have any advice 
uh, for, and I would imagine, okay, I'm not going to answer your question for you, but do you have any advice as it relates to using pen and paper, pencil and paper versus going straight to a keyboard? Is there any you know, advice you give on that type of thing? We very deliberately ban laptops in our workshops when we train people to be better writers. There are many reasons for that. Obviously, internet distractions, emails coming up is an obvious one. But also, there has been some proof from studies to show that you remember things better when you are physically writing them down. There's something in that the motor neuron mm-hmm. thing that's happening there. It's brain science. It's yeah, brain, it's all yeah brain exactly, science, exactly. exactly. Um, I'm going to play dumb here and just pretend <laughs> not to know anything about brain science. It's right. something to do with that. But yeah, something happens there where, where you are memorizing things much better uh-huh. by going through the motion of physically writing it down. Sure. I wrote a book. Sorry, I'm not plugging another thing here. It has nothing to no, do with ahead, my day ahead. job. Uh, but I wrote a book about uh, my little hometown in South Africa during apartheid a few years ago. And I wrote quite a lot of it, the first drafts, by hand. And what I found particularly useful about that was that even just transferring it then onto the computer was a whole nother edit. So the editing was happening while I was transferring. While you were moving from one to the other. Exactly. That's that's clever. That was one of the most useful editing processes in the whole thing. We've been speaking to Anelia Varela. She's the U.S. Director for The Writer. And you might want to check out thewriter.com. Anelia, this is great. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dave. AMA webinars give you 90 minutes of focused how-to instruction and specific solutions to help you solve your most pressing work issues. Find tactical, practical courses on building work relationships, polishing your spreadsheet skills, managing your team to meet company goals, and more on our events calendar at amanet.org forward slash events. We take feedback very seriously here at the AMA. If you get a minute, you have some thoughts about this program or additional questions, just send an email to us at podcasts at amanet.org.